That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Brooke, didn't you just fly? I did. I did just fly. It was um, it was a five alarm fire of a uh, potential diarrhea during the security. Wait, uh, wait. <laughs> Please explain this. I caught a flight to come to Michigan to see my family, and it's the first thing I've had to actually show up for in four months. So anxiety, pressure was on. You know, I was in the back of a a lift. You know, which when's mm-hmm. the last time you were in the back of a lift? No, I probably would. I wouldn't feel nauseous myself. I was so nauseous. Like I was. Myself, yeah. I was just like, whoa, my stomach. Okay, it's popping off. <laughs> and it well, and then too, because I was trying to be like roll down the windows, and this is no comment on the driver, but then I looked on the back of the seats and all the signs were like Uber driver is deaf. And that was like churning your stomach and making things go. So stress, stress upon stress. Right. So then by the time you got in the line, were you like row? It was I don't know where this bravery suddenly comes from, but I clearly had a moment where I could have hit the one bathroom before I charged forward into mm-hmm. security. You know, I know I'm, I'm like sky priority. So I'm just going to sail right through. And then <laughs> then I was like, God damn it, you bitch. Like there's still a line. And so I was practicing belly breathing that we've both learned from Dr. Nunez. Sure, that's fine, but that doesn't like change the fact that your butt crack was probably getting and, sweaty at the same time. And I was wearing a dress. <laughs> oh, well, that would have just been easy. You could have just like contained it all in your panties like a mask, you know? Well, hey, welcome to Sidework Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Wallace. And I'm your other host, Brooke Van Poplin, joining you from uh, suburban Detroit. I'm so glad. How are your parents, Brooke? They're good. They are healthy. They're fine. Um, still showing up COVID positive. Uh, oh, well, it, but, it, st- but still your drinking buddies and st- for the next two weeks. Still my <laughs> drinking buddies, but apparently this will go on and on for some people. And this again, uh, not a doctor. Clearly, you know, my mom is is a nurse, and so she was able to contact uh, friends who you know work like an infectious disease for mm-hmm. like thirty years, career people. Uh, the big thing they're saying is like if you did have it um, that give yourself probably about like 10 days after your last round of, you know, being symptom free. Mm-hmm. There's just there's just like such such a low risk of any sort of transmission rate. You're most right. you are most contagious in the days while you're coming down with it. 
And then while you have it. So, but again, my parents and I, we've been avoiding each other. You know, if my mom wants me to come help her on something with her laptop, we both mask up, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, I just foresee it as like, you'll just eventually be avoiding each other more and more as the two weeks go on. (laughs) You'll just be like, um, did you, do you fucking know how to knock? Thank you. I'm in here. Mom, I'm in the, I know, I know. No, it was yeah. <laughs> You're gonna get grounded. Don't get grounded. The oh, well. ultimate non-distancing. <laughs> I know. Leave me alone. Oh, can I tell you really quick? Brian yeah. and I are having it. Brian and I are having a date night tonight. Mm. And it's like our um. We haven't like I haven't been like oh my god tonight's a date night. We're just taking a break. I haven't done that the whole quarantine. So tonight's the night. I chilled a beautiful bottle of white we got in Cinque Terre in Italy mm. last fall. Um, I'm making seared scallops on a corn salad. Like things are happening. And I have like kind of a Mrs. Doubtfire uh, role play restaurant fantasy. Okay. Stay with me, Brooke. Go where, on. Like I'm me, but then right. I excuse myself to go to the bathroom and I come back as a server. Me. Ooh. And I say, um, so did you need anything else while your wife's in the uh, bathroom? And then I just give Brian a hand job. And I saw that coming. I know how you two <laughs> as roll. As a server. As a server, though, right? Naughty, naughty Not server. Not as me. Um, that probably won't happen. But it's fun to think about, right, Brian? <laughs> oh, we've got so much show for I you know. today. I know. Let's get going, huh? Shall we? Okay, Should let's we jump, jump into some headlines. Let's jump into some headlines, baby. Right. Okay. Um. So, guys, we're revisiting Squirrelgate, Jamgate, Moldy Jamgate. We talked about it last week. Uh, the LA Eatery Squirrel is... This has is infiltrated every news source, this story. It's... It's pretty great. I mean, because like, yeah, listen, oh, it's spread across every news source. Has that right? <laughs> I I enjoy that. So more or less, you know, there's this jam cookbook coming out by mm-hmm. Jessica Coslow, which the timing is so odd, and this whole meltdown uh, uh, has just even really begged the question: like, did this? Did this? human like she didn't invent jam or preserves and like who I I mean I get it I but it was like it was like a raspberry jam not breaking Mm -hmm. not you know not like reinventing the wheel here right um and also she's done it incorrectly from everything they've reported girl you cannot put a book about quote-unquote preserves when your shit goes moldy in two days that's not <laughs> what a preserve is right, that's why, right like it's why it's supposed to be able to keep in a cellar in a jar or your fridge or wherever for like a year the whole well, point I'm, I'm curious does the recipe say like put in unventilated <laughs> I know. fridge and let mold form is that what the recipe actually it, says <laughs> i mean she might be quickly doing a re-edit and re-release of the book being like yes it's my proprietary blend it's the secret behind that jam you all loved um but it's it's the situation where it's like not only you know was this whole this whole jam jam you know a sort of very false and there was a lot of profiting going on with her for super overpriced jam just the equity just in general the restaurant like having a hidden workspace where she locked people into it and then mm-hmm. everyone who's worked below her you know over the years since 2012 is just like so much on that menu which you know you and I can 
we can go round and round on this, but it's just like she was not a chef. She moved to L.A. to work in like production and television or something and then like took a a canning class. And then I don't know where she got the money to like, well, she opened a jam shop that then turned into this restaurant. And so most of the food items on the menu are food items invented, you know, like they exist elsewhere, if that makes sense. Sure. I mean, I and, and like, yes, we can't go run around on this. And I know that like, you know, you know that like if you work under a chef or you're not the owner and you're a chef, the pecking order goes, you invent, the, you invent this dish and you might not get credit for it. Right. And that's just the shitty thing about it. Um, and I think that, I don't know, I think it's kind of amazing that she built what she built from just having a vision it just sucks the execution it sucks what's happening now you know we have examples of people who are self-made chefs or self-made cooks who become wildly successful and love what they do you know like but I think you're right it's just played so terribly you know well, that that's it is I, I think people wouldn't be maybe so hard and willing to pick every last thing about her apart at the moment if she wasn't running like like the version of like a sweatshop restaurant with like really horrible working conditions, like unequitable situations, like rats and roaches. Oh, tap dancing over the top of all that sorrel crispy rice salad that we're finding all this out. I do wonder though, statistically, man, there's a lot of other places that have this going on. You, I'm sure she's not the only one. Are you kidding me? She's just the one that's like, got the spotlight on her but yeah so the the, the story continues to develop rat gate jam gate squirrel gate <laughs> squirrel gate <laughs> it's all it's all happening so um like we said we'll, we'll keep jamming on this topic all right uh next headline this one's really fun actually so in dc um there's a new pop-up, a new food hall. And food halls have been around. You know, Omaha has a couple food halls. Um, there is an open-air uh, Grand Central Market here, which is kind of a food hall. Um, you know, we were in Florence last year. There's, like, big, like, food halls there where it's, like, there's basically, like, hip little kitchens um, from, like, kind of the best of throughout the city. So what this is saying with the pandemic is, like, places like this are going to maybe be the next best thing that's going to save the restaurant industry in a way. So you have one big place, they're kind of calling them ghost kitchens, where you can get people in who have limited menu items. Sometimes they're open air. But now, and what's so great about it is like all of these chefs can come together under one roof and share the costs, the overhead costs of like running kitchens, paying bills, taxes, all that stuff, and still employ front of house employees who may have been servers at one point and can come help out. Um, You know, some are open air so people can actually eat outside. The ones that are inside, they'll have to do just to go. But eventually when people can eat inside again, it'll be harmonious and you can act, you can drink booze there. I just think, I think this is a great way to solve a lot of problems for people. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Just because it's also such a safe way if you need to shutter again or do a very distanced version of your restaurant that your model is built in a way to, you know, I mean, the thing is like it really eliminates servers, you know? No. And I thought about this, too. Right. I, I did. I did think about that. But, but some of these when they are able to be back open again, there's bartenders because these places have bars. 
So if it is open air and outside and there's liquor license, there'll be people bartending. Which I think great. these are these are also going to be the kind of places where your food's still maybe brought to you um, if you're sitting and eating there. And again, it could be a way, again, front of house staff working the counters to at least have something bringing in income. Trust me, I did think about the fact that there won't be any servers, but it could also be a thing where eventually that can be put back into place once things open up fully again. That's a good idea. You know, I was reading this other article that, you know, like there are just challenges upon challenges to even not lose your goddamn business, but people are still nightmares, right? Mm -hmm. And oh my God, a San Francisco restaurant owner, basically her restaurants, you know, shifted to takeout only like most and basically... Um, you know, everything was shut down, all this blah, blah, blah. And then someone is like writing on Yelp that they're furious that they couldn't just find some squid to add to the pork jowl <laughs> order because that's how he likes it. Go find some squid in a pandemic, you bitch. I can't um, fucking believe this. Like zero stars, one star. If I could give zero stars, I would. Isn't that like the it. best like line? What a fucking snub by a yelper i could if i could give zero stars you know, i would but for anyone who's new to our podcast please go back and listen to the episode called hot truth yelp and sarah schaefer because we lay out all the ways that yelp is basically a horrifying mafia mm-hmm. that tries to get people to like pay them off to remove you know to remove bad reviews it, it's horrifying well, I don't know, Brooke. There's plenty of other places to review other than restaurants. I mean, these people who are giving shitty reviews at restaurants are getting, they're giving shitty reviews to every single business they go to. <laughs> you know, even in the time of pandemic, you can't get someone to stop being a sour Sally. It's terrible. It's it's just so bad. Let's, uh, yeah. You want to move into some server submitted stories? <laughs> first story chad's in charge is that the headline of the for this Ch- chad's <laughs> in charge of our days and, and our giving me my dessert okay hello goyles <laughs> i've worked in the service industry for about eight years now and i've seen some shit for my first job at black eyed pea I, I, I wish he would have said as a black eyed pea. Anywho, from my first job as black eyed pea to working nine days in a row for the Chicago Cubs World Series win and parade to now working at a fantastic distillery. Oh, Chicago feels. I've worked at all types of places and cried in the freezer over French fries, Red Robin. We've had a story like this, by the way. Oh, Remember, yeah. Brooke? Uh, at the mall uh, from Thanksgiving to Christmas is a beast. Fuck yes, it is. Your past few episodes on discrimination have really hit home for me, so I decided to share my stories. I worked at a place in River North for about a year and a half. It had a 1920 speakeasy theme, a burlesque show on Thursdays, and a giant wall of whiskey. When I first started there, it was fun and exciting, but then in a few months, the smoke cleared and some things were becoming apparent. Dress code became a bit racist, even though we just had to dress semi to theme. No turbans or wraps for headwear. I was personally discriminated against with certain sections on certain days. Well, one day, Thursdays, I was never allowed to work in the lounge for the burlesque show. I noticed how I would be the most senior person on the floor on Thursdays in a totally different room and not working the busiest Mm. day in the busiest section. 
fuck. That's fucked up. I also was never scheduled backstage, which is where bottle service, if we had reservations for that, would be. So I asked and I made sure to ask the only female manager, she was a badass, because I wanted a straight answer. I knew what the answer was without asking the questions, but sometimes the best way to combat discrimination is to play dumb and make a joke. I asked, so am I not allowed to work in the lounge on Thursdays because I'm not a size six? My manager kind of nervously laughed and gave me the, no, it's because you're too good and we need you elsewhere. Mm. I waited a few weeks, but I eventually took Thursdays off my ability because it's not fun watching, sometimes literally because my room would be empty. Others make three times more money because management likes the way they look more. I would leave my night with 60 bucks and just cry when I got home and beat myself up and hate myself because I always felt unwanted or not good enough. And now there was evidence to back up those feelings. Gross. Oh, my God. (laughs) I found out later the female manager who was in charge of the schedule would try to put me in the lounge or backstage for shifts and upper management, shockingly all white and male, would change it. She did give me other good shifts and really tried to make up for it. Once she left, there was a definite shift in management that prioritized looks over everything Mm -hmm. else. Eventually, there were too many double standards and I felt myself getting pushed out, so I put in my two weeks. They hired a new manager And we worked together maybe three times together. And one night he said, you're really good. Why are you leaving? And I gave some answer about it was just time for me to leave and it wasn't a good fit. He left a month after I did. There's a lot more shady things that happened. And I'm sure there are listeners that know the place and have horror stories of their own. Thank you so much for all you ladies do. Godspeed and good tips, Sarah. Holy shit. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny. The sort of like hilarious burlesque speakeasy goofball throwback shit's about to come up in the back end of the episode. I know. That's just weird. I didn't even think about that. That is so weird. But I love it when shit like this works out. But this is fucked up. And like, I mean, give me a fucking break. Right. And, you know, and listen, like this sort of like discrimination on looks or um, even if like you're not uh, if you're not a white blonde girl, which is Mm -hmm. definitely, I think, you know, probably going on with Sarah as well. That, you know, in Chicago, trying to entertain the white male gaze, all that shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, girl, like. God bless, like in Chicago, which I find so amazing and hilarious. She's like, what? I'm not a size six in L.A. It's like, what? I am not a size child, toddler four. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, I mean, like it's it's brutal no matter where you're at when these places with upper management um, decide that you can't just be good at your job. You have to fully look like yeah the part head to toe i mean this would go back and again if you guys are newer listeners we do a whole restaurants restaurant restaurants Uh, chester restaurants chesterons boobarons right but this is not one of those right and this is not one of those places where some of these spots you are hired as an independent contractor to be Mm -hmm. sort of like an entertainer who waits tables where this does get into murky gray area because you're just supposed to be a server and good yep. at your job and like yeah everybody can go get fucked sarah ugh. thank you so much for sharing the story um we adore you and and then thank you for the kind words right and if you're at a distillery now or whatever the good job you enjoy enjoy it love it you rock and i can already tell you're a babe so keep shining <laughs> i went ahead and uh, named this uh story chemical warfare uh okay 
So this one comes in. Hi, ladies. Love the podcast. It's so great hearing this topic and profession, getting the respect and attention it deserves. Yeah, Hell yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I've been out of the restaurant biz for the last year, but after the world got set on fire, great analogy, all I could think about is how this pandemic is affecting my brothers and sisters in the restaurant biz. I've been in and out of restaurants for years, and like all longtime servers, I've got a ton of wacky stories to tell. <laughs> Here's a fun one. Shortly after 9-11, those two don't, those two. That's not wacky. That, that's not wacky or fun. Okay, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Shortly after 9-11, I got a job at an Italian restaurant in a well-off college town in California. Our clientele was made up of the wealthy folks that lived in the area. The owner loved ways to cut corners. Crazy, I know. So one time the boss came in around six o'clock right as the place was getting busy and he had a couple of big bags of whole dried red chili peppers. We were all like, what the fuck's this cheap shit? About an hour later, the place is full. Things are getting serious. The restaurant is small. 16 tables, two servers, eight table sections with full wine service. Pure madness. The kitchen is in the back of the restaurant and relatively open. If you stood up from just about any seat in the dining room, you could see too much of what was going on in the kitchen. <laughs> so there's a pizza on the menu that was insanely spicy, and I'm guessing someone ordered it because out of nowhere, every eye in the restaurant started burning. <laughs> I looked over to the kitchen and one of the pizza makers had stuffed the food processor with those goddamn chilies. The fumes and little particles floated right out of the kitchen and directly in front of the large vent that blew air into the dining room. Oh my God. The customers started freaking out at this point. Eyes were burning. People started sneezing. Myself and the other server noticed what was going on and with blurry eyes, we sprung into action, opened all the windows in the middle of winter and told the dude in the kitchen to stop that shit at once wow some customers were concerned it was a terrorist attack oh yeah that's totally like chemical warfare everyone was like anthrax anthrax chemical warfare as he says we basically went from table to table throwing the kitchen under the bus for the boneheaded move um which is a talent us servers have love to throw the kitchen under the bus You know, we circle back to uh, the owner. He eventually splurges and went back to buying the McCormick jug of chili flakes after that instead of grinding them up in a blender. Hope you enjoyed this ridiculous story. Keep killing it. Godspeed and good tips. Best regards. Anonymous. Anonymous. That's the number one name that was given to all of our listeners, it seems. I know. I know. They're all (laughs) named Anonymous. It's so Greek. Oh, my God. Great stories, you guys. As always, please, if you have a chestnut of a story, if you have something that you want to tell us, please write us, email us, DM us. Brooke, where they can where can I send those emails? They can they can email us sideworkpod at gmail.com. You guys are so funny. We love you. We adore you. We have such smart, talented, cool ass listeners. So thank oh my you. God. Thank you. Thank you. And we want to hear from all of you. So do send us a note. All right, everybody, please welcome to Sidework Podcasts our renowned guest, uh, known as a uh, martini bar cocktailer in Boston. I mean, that's what she's most known for. She might be doing some television writing and some other exciting, but nothing near as exciting as her former 
job in the service industry. Everyone welcome Kara Clank to the podcast. Oh, thank you. So good to be here. We should, so good we should to insert a bunch of like glasses clanking every time we say <laughs> Kara Clank. Like. Cheers. <laughs> well, so today's a very like when when you and I were texting Kara, uh, you know, we were we were trying to remember what we spoke about that we thought would be such a great episode topic. I swear to God, it was something about a job you currently had or recently had that somehow made it. This doesn't. Oh, need to go I'm in working there. on bar rescue. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, okay, we'll have you back. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Don't you mean so? Do you mean like every single bar in the United States you are working with right now? No, 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 no. Right now, I know. I'm basically like so because they can't produce any more of the episodes right now, like the season's on hold because of Corona. Um, They basically decided to re-release like ten of their greatest hits episodes, and have pop-up video style like factoids and jokes (laughs) and so I'm writing like the jokes and kind of like shaping the factoids into being like readable and yeah so that's it so like they're so basically you're so I have only seen 10 episodes of Bar Rescue but I have seen them three times each (laughs) so you're just like you're just like re-upping the gross out yeah basically okay But uh, they're like they're apparently yeah. like some of the bigger, more famous episodes. Like one is like a pirate bar, and one is like this complete total sociopath owner in in Chicago. Like so, Trader Todd's. No, the dugout. <laughs> the dugout. Oh, I know that place. He just was like this man with like a full monotone. Like his his face never changed from from this, and he's just like. I don't know. Make the bar better. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. Like, he's like the worst man I've ever seen. Uh, this is this, this is like good segue. Actually, <laughs> this is a great segue. I mean, when you think about it, too, though, like these these like death trap old filthy bars in the time of covid for having any chance of reopening, they're going to have to clean their act up. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that is phenomenal. I love that you're working on Bar Rescue and we just remembered that. Well, which then brought us to the fact that you have worked in some jazzy, jazzy clubs. So have <laughs> I. And so today we are going to talk about the resurgence of martini bars and jazz clubs and all that <laughs> swing nonsense that came back in the late 90s and sort of still hangs around. I love it. This is like our very, this is like our first dive into like a very, very specific time. I'm very excited about yeah, it. My, this oh, yeah. was summer of 2001 for me. Yes. So, pre 9-11, just martinis the size of your head. I remember those days. I think I was like, I think I had like just turned 21 or 22. Yeah. I was just like, I was like, yes, just give me a giant martini. There was I'll also pay whatever. Like, there was also Sex in the City, I think, contributing yep. to yes. that a little bit. Like everybody was drinking Cosmos. So like, you know, and, and then martinis and stuff like that. So it was a perfect storm to just get uh, huge wall size Rat Pack posters back up in bars. <laughs> so just like off out of the gates, like where did you work? Okay, so I worked in Boston at a place called The Good Life. I worked at the Downtown Crossing location. There was another one in, I think maybe Cambridge. Um, and uh, it, it, I think it still exists, but it's changed owners and now it's just like a random like regular bar. Okay. But when I was there, it was a full like Rat Pack 
themed bar. We all wore white collared shirts with clip on black ties and like black pants and dress shoes. And then like, you know, there was there was food, but then there was live jazz Thursday, Friday, Saturday um, downstairs. And like the downstairs was one of these places that like if you turn the light on, you would be horrified. But if you went down there on a regular night, you were like, cool. Swang, swang, swang. That like you wouldn't want to blacklight it. Um, and uh, yeah, I loved it. I ha- like, I love waitressing. I've actually only waitressed a little bit in my life and I always wanted to do it more. Like I applied for waitressing jobs in New York just, just through like friends who knew, cause I knew that in New York I'd have to have more experience, I think. And I was like, I would go to places where like I went to, I did Red Eye Grill. Remember the Red Eye Grill that was like near Carnegie Hall? Oh gosh. I mean, the name rings a bell, but I definitely didn't. It's like a fancy grill for like lunch. And I was like, oh, I'll be a lunchtime waitress so I can still do stand up. And you can still make a lot of money on lunch at this place because it was like expensive and whatever. And I went and did a whole mock thing where I had to mock a trail. Yeah, I had to serve (laughs) like the manager. Um, I had to like wait on the manager and it was really, even as a performer, it was, I I was sweating. Like it was mm -hmm. so intimidating (laughs) and terrifying to me. And like, I I, I, like do stand up and perform in horrible situations all the time. And I like never have the reaction I had when I had to be like, um, a a good wine that would pair with the cob salad would be, um, uh, 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 like I was like a literal brain fart. I had to do something like that once where, um, it was more of a fine dining situation I'd never done before. I did a mock shift and I had to drop off a moose bushes to tables, which I had never fucking ever heard of in my whole life at that point. And I was, I was like, "Um." yeah, it was like, kind of, it was kind of one of those things when you do a shift like that, everybody's like, who the fuck are you? And what are you doing here? You know? Yeah. The mock shift thing is like terrifying, but at the, in the Boston place, I worked there for a summer, the summer before I went back to college and I, you know, Brooke knows I'm like a summer camp girl. I like mm-hmm. was a, I was a camper and a counselor at camp for 10 years. And this right. is your the, wedding was at a summer my camp, My wedding right? was yes. at my summer camp. Like I'm very into my summer camp. This was the one summer I took off. I was like, I got to take off a summer and like do something else. Or like, I'm going to start getting <laughs> sick of camp or something. So I went to Boston and I waitress. And I'm telling you, like I hit the pavement in like a mini skirt and like a formal tank top and like sandal strappy sandals that gave me horrible blisters and like walked up and down Newberry street applied to every single bar and restaurant on Newberry street. Like I applied so many freaking places. And then this place I used, I had no experience and I used my college bar as a reference. The dirt bag owner was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just, uh, I know you, like if they call me and I'll say that you cocktailed here and I'm like, great. <laughs> I'm like, I have no right. idea if they ever called him, but I had zero experience. But it's like, I knew I'd be good at it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I Plank. love talking you're to like people. The, you're such a smooth talker <laughs> and you're such a good, like, bullshitter and engaging with people. Yes, it is one of the skills of, of bartending yeah, and like, cocktailing. I was like, I know that there's this, like, uh, this thing. I, I do think experience is important in waitressing, but I was like, I just know I can do this. And, like, no one will hire me unless I have some... <laughs> fake references so my resume for that was like filled with fake 
fake yes, stuff. We've realized that that's how everyone does get their job. Either a friend gets you in, you know, and it's just like, hey, this person checks out and they're like, all right, you're hired. Or you just lie about yeah. having worked somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And you're like, I've, I've deboned fishes. Yeah. <laughs> on my resume. Didn't you see that? Oh, yeah. Like the first time I had to like open a cork bottle of wine, I was like, okay, uh, I can figure this out. There's some cracks. You just threw it in and then pull. Like I was like not. You punch yourself in the face. Yeah. Were you even 21 yet when you got a job cocktailing? Um, no. Okay. I wasn't 21 yet. And I, and, and it was so funny because this bar was psychotic. Boston in general is like psychotic about IDing people. Of course. So like I literally one time couldn't serve like a 80 year old man. Like this man was in there and this guy was like, this is my son. And here's my, he goes, this is my dad. And here's my ID. I'm 47. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I cannot serve anybody without an ID. Like it was so crazy. But, um, but it yeah. could have been a teenager wearing a mask and makeup. Yeah. It's very true. It could have been uh, the pioneering of that trend back in 2001. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's set the scene because we're yes. going to get deeper into the history and the, the resurgence of this trend. But like, let's talk about this place specifically you worked at. Okay. The Good Life, right? Yeah. It was called The Good Life Downtown because I think there was also okay. The Good Life um, Harvard Square or wherever it was. And uh, um, yeah, like the woman that originally hired me was like this scary Irish woman. But then she got like she got moved to the other location <laughs> afterwards. So I got this like sort of like hot Goomba named Mike was my uh, instructor. <laughs> I don't know if that's like I don't know if that's like racially insensitive, but like I am Italian, so I'm not trying to be insensitive. Like it's just like he's just this like very tan hot man but with like a very thick boston accent so i can't really like i was never attracted to him but everybody i worked with was and oh. i was like i get it it's just not for me it's a little like jersey shore yes, kind of yes. the, okay, it's like the okay. boston version of jersey of like jersey shore essentially this guy but he also like really did know what he was doing he was like a tough manager and so you were kind of like you know um and I worked with like a bunch of young people. They all mostly knew each other. I had to really break in. It was really difficult. <laughs> like at the beginning, I was like, this sucks. Nobody likes me at this job. And then like I started with the hostess. The hostess and I became really good friends. And then I started like on to like one of the bartenders. I started a friendship with her. And then soon, soon we were all like a posse hanging out in our free time. And uh, it was really fun because the bar would close at two, one on weekdays, two on weekends. We would clean up until three and then we would go to Koreatown to these places that would serve us soju and we would just like oh, get yeah. hammered until six in the morning uh, and they would like actually have loose 30 packs in the back where we would drink beer and then yeah. I would go to bed at six in the morning and I would sleep until like noon or two and then just go back to work <laughs> that was like my whole yep. summer and then on my days off I would just go to Newport Rhode Island and visit my friends from college who lived like 10 people to a two-bedroom house and <laughs> <laughs> it was a wonderful summer um that does sound magical yeah but like so when you walked in it was like it was like they were trying to be sort of classy it was like red leather banquettes and stuff like that yeah. and like a mat the massive rat pack pictures of like 
Dean Martin laughing with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. And then like these huge like bucket martini, like the martini glasses were just like not, if you think of like your standard martini glass, I would say they were twice the size. They were That's just huge. crazy. Like, like they were like the giant margarita oh, glasses. Yeah, basically, yeah, I, yeah. basically. And they like, they, um, I would show you one because I did obviously steal several of them and they've moved with me <laughs> to many locations, but they've all since broken. Um, but we were only allowed to serve people. Two, we The rule was we were only allowed to serve people two of up mm-hmm. drinks. Like if they were rocks, we could fudge it. But we still sold them more because we wanted. God. Of course you did. It was like yeah. the manager also was like, I mean, if they're okay, like, you know, right. it was like they were strong ass drinks. And then I thought I was this hot martini drinker that summer, <laughs> even though like. No, like, so I would go, I went to a like dive bar in Newport, Rhode Island and was like, can I get, can I get a gin martini up with a twist? (laughs) I just wanted to order it that way because I knew martini lingo now. Mm -hmm. Drank it, definitely puked. I mean... Worth it to You're look like, cool um, ordering. Do you a have drink. key lime martinis? Do you have anything? Do you have graham cracker crumbs back there that I can get put in my drink? <laughs> can I oh, can I get a graham cracker rim? <laughs> <laughs> Which was definitely uh, a very like hip martini bar. Brooke and I hang out uh, in Chicago all the time. We've drank those fuckers for oh, sure. Yeah. Well, oh. we had all kinds of like cutesy ones. Like I remember there was like a lemon drop martini. There was a regular chocolate. chocolate there was martinis. an espresso martini that yep. was very mm. popular with like a chocolate covered cherry inside. And I had to make the espresso and I don't drink coffee. So I never I had to like learn how to make espresso. Um, and then, oh, like the manager I mentioned, Mike, there was a thing on the menu called Mike's Manhattan that was named after him. So it was okay. like that was very popular. Like a, the guys would have that like a big ass Manhattan and like a couple of those you're bombed. Like Dude, those it's, are it's like, like it's like an aquarium tank full of bourbon. Yeah, yeah. it's it is truly. <laughs> All right, you guys. So a little history on the martini um okay so it took basically it took about a century for the martini to reach its current form it's been through a lot of evolutions um and it's obviously a drink that you know some of the greatest statesmen writers businessmen and movie stars have all bandied about their martinis (laughs) through culture or whatever but the most popular origin story of the martini um, basically comes from the brand of vermouth, which is Martini and Rossi. Mm-hmm. And apparently at some point, uh, somebody splashed the vermouth into some gin. And when pressed for a name of what this drink was, the the, the server was like, ah, uh, ah, uh, looked at the bottle and said, it's a martini. Wait, so it was like a Reese's peanut butter cup origin story? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, got vermouth, you got vermouth in my vodka. <laughs> I mean, this is not confirmed. There are a lot of origin stories, but that's the most popular yeah, one. Yeah, I've been finding out through this Bar Rescue thing that the origin stories of a lot of booze drink, like drinks are difficult to track oh. because everybody's yep. wasted. <laughs> like, right. And everybody's- like 10 different people are like, I invented the Harvey Wallbanger. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, the right. The origin story of the margarita is like, oh, right. it was here at, at a cocktail party in the 1940s in L.A. And a woman named Margarita put these ingredients together. And you're like, 
I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that highly. Um, okay, so this is so ridiculous. Here's another origin story. This was in Martinez, California. Um, and they're saying that Martini and Rossi had nothing to do with the Martini naming. But a gold rush prospector came into the town. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Lore having it that he struck gold. So in celebration of him panning and mining for gold, he asked for the house special at this bar and the bartender was out of ingredients. So he threw something together and then called it the Martinez special. Um, now, the thing is, this was the Martinez was heavier in vermouth than it was in gin and also had bitters and mar- maraschino liqueur. So a Manhattan, right? Is that's what that is? That what Maraschino like in any of those though? Maraschino, Maraschino doesn't go. Maraschino is in a Manhattan, or there's a cherry. Yeah, is it? For sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So that doesn't sound correct. But um, basically, you know, so this drink has had like many, many sort of iterations, and you know, obviously, we all know like. In the 50s and 60s, like like Mad Men popularized, like the three martini lunch, you know? Right, like a James Bond situation. Completely. But people give James Bond a lot of shit because he says shaken, not stirred, which everyone's like, that's a weak-ass watered-down martini, you dick. Mm. But he's got also, shit. He's an espionager. Well, he has but to keep also, his, I think he, he, has he orders sober. vodka martinis, and martinis are supposed to be gin. I think that's another Bond thing. Well, I actually, yeah. what I always learned is you can shake vodka, but you're not supposed to shake gin because you can right. actually bruise the gin a lot easier than you Ooh, can the vodka. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I think that's probably, I know that's probably why I threw up that gin martini when I was, it was 20. It was all bruised. It was It was a bruised little yeah, bitch. You, you bruised your liver that night, my yeah. friend. Ow! <laughs> Um, but okay, so so and then a lot of like this drink and this Rat Pack era, this swing vibe, these jazz clubs, obviously a huge part of American culture. It was the thing to do. Everyone was just like out and swinging and big bands, you know, everywhere. I mean, like, obviously, like I probably would have loved to have been alive during the real version. Oh, during <laughs> um, World War II when men were dying and there was swing dancing and that's all you could do is fuck on the dance floor? Like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the music, like, as much as I have been, like, groaning and sighing, revisiting so much of what happened in the late 90s, which is basically this huge swing revival explosion happened uh, a lot in part it literally is blamed on the movie swingers thanks john favreau um <laughs> because he had already been a fan of big bad voodoo daddy uh because i think they were playing locally somewhere in los angeles and he invited them to be to play the band in swingers they didn't read the script nothing they agreed to it showed up and then boom like the new neo swing craze took off yeah like literally and- my school had cherry pop and daddies for spring weekend holy like, shit kara it was so like okay i guess like yeah i mean i saw i, I saw them in concert i saw scroll nut zippers twice they i like my the scroll nut zippers Mm-hmm. Andrew Bird, Andrew Bird did scroll nut zippers. Oh, really? He was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, I, didn't know that. I think so. Yeah. So there was just basically like culturally, obviously, like the late '90s. Suddenly, it was like the Brian Setzer Orchestra yes. was everything. <laughs> like, and I, Zoot I've Suit seen Riot, them. Right? 
Zoot Suit Riot. <laughs> I gotta say, I like a 1980s Brian Sensor Orchestra. That's just, or that one when they were Stray Cats. The stray Cats. Stray, yes. The, Listen, I don't mind the Stray Cats, and I absolutely went to see the Brian Setzer Orchestra at a summer festival and bought a baby doll tank top that said Brian Setzer Orchestra and I was <laughs> I was too, too chubby to rock such it. A, like, uh, such a weird mishmash of cultures and I know we'll get deeper into it but here's kind of my beef with this revival is it's like it peppers like 50s into it too. I know. So it has a combination of pre-World War II and post. Yes. So it has this baby boomer mentality attached to it. So it's like you get all this ultra lounge and like I feel like it's you've got all these like swinger shirts which are really just like lounge shirts that are from like the 50s it's so confusing it's very it's it's a well it's it's like the 90s and early 2000s it's just this cultural dumping ground where it's like we're just making it all new again and putting our own shitty twist on it this swing craze was so out of control that (laughs) Okay, that like big bad voodoo daddy played the Super Bowl. Did you- <laughs> wow! I I, I mean the, the Super Bowl is like for the Beyonces yeah, and the J Lo's really of a the wild world. Fact that's really wild. But um, so like, dude, and then and then big bad voodoo daddy also he played. <laughs> they played dinners for Bill Clinton and George Bush Senior. Um. Dude, I'm I'm gonna guess that Bill Clinton got on stage and played some sax with them as well. Um, they okay. So you know what else happened too? So during Swingers, then everyone got back into rockabilly, and that's where the '50s mishmash kind of poisoned the well. But like Brian oh, yeah. Brian Setzer won the Grammy for covering "Jump Jivin'" and "Way anyway, You Gotta Jump." It's like that song already existed, and he beat out legitimate artists that year. Um, he fucking beat out Dave Matthews Band, Bare Naked Ladies, Aerosmith, and the Goo Goo Dolls. I think it's, I'm glad he won instead of them personally. Ah! <laughs> Bullshit. No, okay, so all of this, like, culturally, I mean, like, the Gap had the swing, com- you oh, know, commercial yes, for their, their new pants. Oh, yeah, they had, like, the pedal pushers that were, like, yes. really yep. popular then. Yeah, the khakis. You know, so it's just basically, like, this whole, like, sort of, like, drinking and eating cosplay culture just sort yeah. of emerged, because I remember being like let's go to a swing club you know and it would bars were just scrambling to be like uh yeah sure we're a swing club now and they'd be like does someone can someone go get some swing you know music to play and then we'll have a night and all these dipshits with a scarf tied around their neck and saddle shoes can come you know look (laughs) all confused so I definitely participated in that for a hot minute. They were still uh, took, doing that shit in New York when I left too, though. Like I took center. dance classes. Like I took swing dance classes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so then, like, obviously, uh, maybe like old sort of rundown, you know, forgotten about uh, steakhouses suddenly had like a real resurgence. As long as they were like, "Hey, man, let's put on that Sinatra," and you know, like every five minutes, play Mac the Knife. Um, you know, <laughs> oh my god, and that has to be really interesting, though. Like you're saying, like to have 
places like this. Of course, we see the Brown Derby. We see uh, uh, where's my brain in Los Feliz in Swingers or the Marty Dresden. and Elaine play. Of course, the Dresden. Of course, which has always been like a neighborhood haunt. But it is again really interesting to have places like this that have been old man bars and jazz clubs forever. All of a sudden, there's like all these kids dressed up there, you know, like ready to party. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so funny and ridiculous. Um, and I, you know, I myself. Uh, worked at a place in downtown Chicago, which it's a chain and it's still around. I got so excited to find out the Chicago location is shuttered. It's no more. My <laughs> my den of my den of nightmares doesn't exist anymore. But I I was looking at photos of the place and literally just like, oh my God, I've blocked that job out. Kara, it was the worst, hardest job ever. Everything, like I swear to God, the shift would start, like our floor manager would be like, service, showtime. And then like the the lights would all flip on and the music. And then I swear to God, it was all Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. It would be the first song that came on every night. <laughs> I, had to, I had to have a cigar cutter in my apron. Oh, did I, you cut yourself with it to get through the night? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that wasn't required. <laughs> that was just how I hurt myself to feel alive. But I, would, I like, don't if think worked, smoking was allowed at my place, but I can't remember. Okay, so if it was a dedicated cigar lounge, people could smoke inside. Yeah. And it was so disgusting when you would have to do the shift with all these, like, gross dudes, of course, drinking martinis, and then over here. And it's so sexual when they're like, come over here and cut my cigar, baby, because you have to put this fucking fat, Ugh. stubby cigar into the little hole with the blade. And Ugh. I was like, and man. This place, did this place have its own humidor? I assume yes, they had to have. It had gross. a humidor. It's so gross. I hated this place with a passion, and they leaned so hard. And I found... My old training legal notepad. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> oh, ladies, ladies, this is pretty because I had never ever served food like this in my life because they please went, read us some of the tidbits. Oh, please let me give you. Okay, so the greeting usually took about seven minutes to get through. Was and it like, hey, didn't, cool cats, welcome. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not Carol Baskin, but um, well, I didn't say and kittens. And kittens, right. Hey, cool cats and kittens. So because this was a corporate bullshit place, you would get secret shopped all the time. And if you didn't hit like the 18 steps of service, you know, I, I basically got, um, I got put back, uh, I got like, what's the word like I got put on probation or they they were like you have to go back into training even though I'd worked there for several months and I just was like trying to give someone a normal experience serving <laughs> but they were secret shoppers and so they tattled on me and they're like she fucking skipped everything but here here's just half of the greeting at Sullivan Steakhouse okay hi I'm Brooke who'll be making the wine selection tonight can I start anyone out with our signature martini, The Knockout, which is a pineapple-infused cocktail? We do offer bottled water, either San Pellegrino or Evian. And, like, the thing with this thing, is, okay, the thing with this fucking place is The Knockout, because Sullivan Steakhouse was named after a boxer named Joe Sullivan or whatever. And so they thought they were super fucking forward because they're like, we, we marinate the vodka in pineapple overnight. And it's like, wow. Um, <laughs> so we would, we would have to push it no matter what. If everyone started off. It sounds off, like a date rape drug, like parody. It's, 
horrible. They, you, you could walk up and people would fully be like, yeah, I want this, 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 that, and we're going to get this bottle of wine. You'd have to be like, but can I offer you our signature pineapple-infused vodka cocktail called the Knockout? And they'd be like, no, you dumb bitch. We just told you what we wanted. Like, I mean, it I sounds have. delicious. I do love pineapple Look, vodka. if you don't tell you about the infused pineapple, bad things are going to happen to me. So can I just tell you about it? Like that. And it's the truth. It, it gave you no, like this place gave you no room for reading a table. It was just like push the fucking, you know, yeah. agenda on them. So then, so then, you know, you had to go on. Okay. Our featured appetizer, our featured appetizer tonight is Florida stone crab claws. Yum. We also have traditional escargot baked in the shell or for seafood lovers at the table. <laughs> a great appetizer is our seafood sampler. And that includes six oysters, four large crab claws, four jumbo shrimp with jumbo lump crab meat and avocado habanera salsa on it. Oh, God, this is when I'd start to lose it. And what appetizers did you decide on? By the way, our featured steak is the Kansas City Strip, which is prepared on the bone for added flavor, which is uh, my favorite is the Cajun ribeye, which has been marinated in olive oil and Cajun spices. For I've 24 never seen you eat a Cajun ribeye in my life. By did the way, did you oh. have to say? Yeah, did you have to say it was your favorite? Or of was course, that, <laughs> that was part of the training. Is you wow. and I just sound like you could just hear my soul dying. I'd be like, my favorite is the Cajun ribeye. Don't shop me. Don't secret shop me. We do, and then they'd be like, yeah, I want it this way, this way, and this way, and I'd be like, but. Can I offer it this way? We do offer all of our entrees Oscar style, which is steamed asparagus spears, jumbo lump crab meat, and a house-made Bernays sauce for an additional $10. We could also offer our filets duxelle style, which means split and stuffed with minced shallots and mushrooms smothered in a sliced mushroom sauce for an additional $5. You had to, like, and that's just page one. Oh my that is God. just page one, and so while you while it's all like jumping, like, jiving, and the way yeah. like in the background, jiving, like when I'm in a restaurant and the and the waiter starts doing that like thing to me, I'm always like, let me save your time, like let me save your breath. I don't eat meat, so I'm gonna have this. You, right. you know what I mean? Like it's just it's so like corporations like don't understand that people can like feel that no one wants to read a page of text when they're right. waiting on people <laughs> like, it, it completely actually takes any of your ability as a waiter to actually serve them versus jam the the corporate handbook down their throat right. because like i would like end up losing a tip because my tables hated me yeah they were like stop talking to me bitch <laughs> i would really like to and i think because this is like a this this specific restaurant you worked at brooke i think is an ongoing trauma that is revisited in different episodes as we continue with Sidework Podcast. Yeah. But I'd love to do a Unsolved Mystery style reenactment of you reading this at the table. And then, because you said it's now shuttered, we can do like an update. Shuttered! shuttered. Like... <laughs> So, like, getting back to, and I think the culture that this is creating, right, right? I think the, the the revival of the swing era, for me, it's still a very masculine culture. Of you course know? it is. Everyone it, everyone was just like, come I mean, in, are there the any swing singers that were women? Like, was there any swing music that was women back then? Like, Not just really. the lady from Squirrel Nut Zippers. <laughs> oh, there yeah, was a lady man. in Squirrel Nut Zippers? Mm-hmm. But she, oh. she, she sat there and just kind of played the guitar and looked a little stoned you know 
I just rewatched. I rewatched the video last night and had all sorts of ridiculous feels. Um, Kara, do you have any like were there, were there specific theme nights at this place where it would be like this band comes in and this night's super swingy or this night's jazzy? No, I mean I would I will also say like there wasn't space for anyone to dance, so it, the music was more on the jazz side, but it, but not like um not quiet jazz. So it was definitely more like upbeat swingy jazz, but not to the point of dancing. I don't know if that's making any sense. Like, no, no, that makes it's like on sense. one side, like on one side of the spectrum, there's like sleepy jazz going all the way up to like you know <laughs> big bad voodoo daddy like Brian Setzer <laughs> Orchestra. It was somewhere like in the middle because it would usually be like three or four piece bands because it was kind of a small area and it was downstairs and like I actually I worked there for a summer and then I went back and worked for the winter of my winter break of my senior year in college and I worked on New Year's Eve and all my friends from college came into Boston for New Year's Eve and I was like sorry guys I can't party I'm gonna make a million dollars on New Year's (laughs) Eve working at the good life and then I'm like so fucking stupid it's like no people are just gonna sit there all night and and there's going to be zero turnover like the whole way i made money there was people having two martinis getting bombed and then leaving and then two more people coming in and taking their table and new year's i made like a hundred dollars i was so pissed i was so mad but so no no theme nights but recurring like trios and like quads would come in and so sometimes they had like a following and you'd be like oh this group's coming in and they have like more of a following so it'll be more packed but like Honestly, I think it was truly most people were just coming in. It was just yuppie Boston people coming in being like, Nito, you know, like <laughs> swing. Like we're part of we're part of the conversation. You we know? read this place. Oh, yeah. I, 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 the trickle down of this like whole thing, too. Right. Whereas like even in Omaha living there, which also uh, the good life is the motto for uh, Nebraska. Oh, excuse um, me. Um, but just just a, just a fact um, and uh, a fun o- o- fact. Omaha, Omaha has a Sullivan Steakhouse in case anyone wants to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they there were definitely there was a huge martini revival to the point where you'd get like these lounges opening up in the early aughts that were like like we were talking before talking about before one hundred percent like. 100 martinis on the menu that you could order up and down and people investing in even like Lincoln, Nebraska, like on the very retro lifestyle of like very swinging, like dark, like carpeted, like rolling loungy chairs everywhere. It's just crazy to me. Yeah. Like how much investment people put into this nostalgia to drive their business and especially young kids. Right. And the thing is like the places that always were like this, still stand the test of time. Right. Yeah, we were saying that. Like the dress, like the Green Mill. Right. The Green Mill in Chicago. Right, Have you right, ever gone right. there before, Kara? Yes. Yeah, oh yes. Know? I did um I did that paper machete show there. Oh God, what a great what a great place for a show. Yeah. Huh? I had a really great time on that. And that bar was really cool. But like also yeah that bar has like a history, right? It's like Al Capone like hit out mm-hmm. there or something. Like Yeah, there's like underground tunnels. Yeah like, and like the Dresden I think swingers made the Dresden famous, but it's always right. been what it is. You know, and yep. they haven't really changed and it is like truly a movie set every time you go in there but yeah like it, it the really good life is. I think the one that I worked at like definitely I think I went back and like 
you know, some point to show Jared, like we were in Boston, probably in like 2012. And I was like, let's go see the place I used to work. And we went in and I was like, oh, this is just like a bar now. Like, it's just like a, like there was like a waterfall on the, on the wall. You know what I mean? Like, just, like this isn't, they're well, not doing the Brat Pack thing anymore. Right. Because the, like the new places, they overdid it with like, it now looks so cheesy and dated you know, when you go into this place where everything's like red and black and yes. like Andrea said, it was the very chairs dark. Are, yeah. And everything's like all the chairs are really chunky and overstuffed pleather. And it's just like, whoa, like, like relax. OK, <laughs> we all discovered what a blue cheese stuffed olive was 15 <laughs> years ago. Okay, I got to say, though, there's this trend and it more in Omaha where you do get those rolling loungy chairs, but the bar sunken. So they're the same like height as a regular table, but the bartenders are down. So okay, it feels I'm like into you're that. Up high at a bar, like it's the best. Yeah, I'm so into that. There's there's little perks like that that I really enjoy, and I still, you know, and, and we we kind of and this we've talked about like this uh, jumping us into a very craft cocktail world, right? Right. I, like if I could have a roll up bar, a sunken bar with craft cocktails, that's the perfect match. Now, now I can have everything I want <laughs> in twenty. 20 when things reopen maybe in 2022 i'll be able to re- revisit that Whoopee! boy oh boy oh boy is it tough to carry a tray with a shit ton of different martinis oh, on it christ Kara, how many martinis could you handle on oh one tray? i could do a lot i had like really good balance with the trays and i never had a i never had a accident which but like we had to go up and down stairs like oh the, wow like so well what well like because there was a bar downstairs but um, for lunch shifts, you would sometimes get like a huge group of people from an office that wanted mm-hmm. to just have like a like a real liquid lunch, and like so twenty we, martinis. Yeah, so we'd put them downstairs, but I had to like bring their martinis downstairs. So it was like stairs and a big tray. But I, for some reason, like just kind of was like, I don't know, maybe from like being the oldest of Listen, six kids, I was like balancing children. So I like know how to balance things, but I was that's a lot. I mean, I know a lot of places that will like, uh, they bring in, they'll shake table side and pour it in. You know, it's a, it's a show. Oh, got it. Yeah. Mm. No, we were not that classy. I don't think, but I could yeah, carry but a lot. For this to, yeah. But for this to be your first real serving job and for you to be able to like get on the ball. It was terrifying I mean, sure- though. The very beginning I was like, Oh no, Oh no. Oh no. I think I would only carry like a couple at a time, like at the beginning. And then I like worked my way up and was like, now I can do like big trays. I oh, and like I got really two. good at like holding food on my arm. Like multiple. Oh yeah. Always. <laughs> like, um, I think carrying two martinis is, sounds more disastrous than five. Yeah. I'm because it like balances around. Wait. Yeah. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I have to say is, God bless the person who, and I think that might be you, Kara, who could perfectly carry a tray of martinis when you really think about all the horrible iterations, possibly one, like like a chocolate martini jumping into a lemon drop. Yeah, possibly yeah, yeah. So that sounds so like true. a gold timey, a prospector, new martini being invented right there, guys. <laughs> Woohoo! You guys... This was like, I, I'm going to go put on some Cherry Pop and Daddies, <laughs> some Brian Setzer Orchestra, you know, I'm going to go watch. Go listen to some Goodman, some Benny Goodman. I'm going to watch The Mask. Um, <laughs> um, and for some of you younger listeners, you really need to go revisit and do a little research about what happened at the <laughs> end of the 90s and early 2000s. We're sorry. It's embarrassing. 
happens to the best of us. But uh, I blame Vince Vaughn. <laughs> hey, you know what? Song. It was a great summer. I don't think I could have been a career waitress there like over multiple years, but a summer and a winter, I had a nice time. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Great parting words. Um, awesome. Kara, thank you so much for doing the pod. Yeah, with thanks us. for having me, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, please like, subscribe. Shoot us those server submitted stories. We would love to hear all the tales you have to tell. Oh my God, there's so many. Happy, sad. Let's all share, right, Brooke? <laughs> yes. This, <laughs> you you just think uh, that you've gone back to the well so many times and it's going to be dry. And nope, this topic like cracked open a whole other part of my serving trauma, and uh, <laughs> the stories are flowing once again. So. Oh my God, I know it's it's like you've entered a new era and the memories just pour out um you guys head over to lastpodcastnetwork.com check out the other shows they have going on there they're all so great get to know us more get to know them more until then you brooke you know what we say at uh, the end of every episode yes indeed godspeed and good tips and good health guys don't get the wrong good fight oh we did it another week brooke we did it all right see you later bye